we're gonna enjoy this tonight, but on Friday, we're gonna have another team meeting and we're gonna get locked in on next year. Hey everyone, welcome back to Protect the Rock, the Clemson podcast from The Athletic. I'm Nicole Auerbach, joined as always by Grace Rayner. And Grace, I'm having some separation anxiety. This is the first day we have not spent together in almost a week, and I just don't know what to do with myself. I know. It was a really good week, too. It was a ton of fun. Yeah, we, uh, what did we do? We, we saw football. We talked football. We introduced <laughs> you to Queer Eye, which is one of the best shows on television. Um, we cooked. Yes, you forced me to eat kale, and I didn't hate it. Like that, That's good. I'll take that as a win. Didn't hate it. Like, actually, here, here, this is how much I didn't hate it. On Sunday night, when I returned home, I made some for myself. Oh my gosh, that's not even didn't hate it. That's actively <laughs> liked it. <laughs> um, yeah, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Pretty crispy. Yes. I'm so glad you're converted. Pretty crispy. Um, but we also watched some football. Um, and you can keep an eye at The Athletic for uh, some pieces in the aftermath of uh, the time I spent with Charlotte. But um, let, let's talk a little bit about the Clemson game. And then I want to get into some stuff about the ACC and the schedule as a whole because it's a little bit more interesting than a blowout. Um, you know, th- this game didn't see a ton of Trevor Lawrence or, or Travis Etienne. Uh, Justin Ross was, you know, could have gone if he needed to, didn't. Was there anything that we could take away? These games are so hard. I mean, you know, it's, it's such a – it's so difficult to get any real sort of gauge or make something big out of games like this just because they are so lopsided. Um, I think if if anything, probably the highlight of the night for Clemson was getting to play 111 players. They dressed 113, and that was a school record. I think the most they had played before then was 94. So I think that's probably the highlight of your Dabo Sweeney is getting some of these kids that some of these fans have really never heard of in into the mix and let him have a few moments i think if you were a clemson fan at the game the highlight was probably halftime oh my gosh the movie was amazing yeah so um you had a better vantage point than i did except that i did get to go up close and personal and see the extras (laughs) but um walk us through what you saw it's a disney movie at at some point we're not sure when um, Correct. Related to this one, was it related to the game that they were trying to recreate or a player? What was going on? Okay, so they were shooting a scene at halftime for this movie called Safety, and they wanted the scene to be of this Clemson team running down the hill. So this movie, Safety, is about Ray Ray McElraithby. He is a former Clemson safety, and so it's about his life and him taking custody of his younger brother when he was 18 and his brother was 11. So it's this cool movie that's based on a real-life story from Ray Ray's time at Clemson. Um. And so on Saturday, what they were doing was at halftime, they were shooting some scenes that would have obviously mimicked a game. And so we're chilling, watching Clemson, UNC, Charlotte. And the real Clemson is still on the the field. There's about two minutes to go. And all of a sudden, I look up to the hill and fake Clemson is standing there like ready to roll and they are getting so hyped they're like swaying back and forth fake tommy bowden has really good energy and they are yelling like ready to roll i mean they look like a real football team which makes sense they're actors but 
essentially real Clemson then goes into halftime. Fake Clemson runs down the hill a little slower than, than real Clemson. But then fake Clemson gets the loudest reception of the whole night from these fans who are obviously pumped to be maybe on a movie. So they run down the hill. These extras are going crazy. They even have like the reserves on the sidelines going nuts. They film these fake plays with fake play-by-play announcements against a fake team that gets booed by 80,000 people at Clemson, which was my favorite part. They're booing this fake team. Like you would have for real honestly thought that Alabama or South Carolina or someone had rolled into town. So so wait, so like they just, I mean, the, the movie directors, producers, like they knew that if they gave them certain situations, the Clemson fans would cheer at the right moments, right? Because like they, they were cheering for Clemson. Exactly. Yeah. And I think they knew. So I think they they knew that the Hill experience would be really loud. And I think that they I mean, we we talked to the producer on Tuesday of last week before Saturday. And that was when they sort of started to get the word out. Hey, fans, stay in your seat at halftime, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, I think they knew the fans would probably be loud. But at one point, then they start making fake tackles and the fans are like screaming, you know, <laughs> and it was just like the one of the funniest things I've seen in 2019. Oh, my gosh, it's so funny. And then, yeah, I was able to see some of the players and some of the fake officials up close afterwards. They were taking photos with Clemson fans because it was halftime. So there were some fans who asked to put on the helmets and take a photo. Amazing. Uh, there, was a, there was a lot going on. There was There was a lot of excitement about that. And, you know, by that point in the game – it's in, it's in hand, and this is sort of, like, this is kind of what you wrote about, right? Like, these games aren't going to be tight. They're going to be at least two touchdown no. favorites the rest of the way down here. 19-game win streak, longest in the country by a lot, um, by nearly double Ohio State now that UCF lost. And I just, you know, and you wrote about this, but, like, what do you work towards? How do you frame the rest of the season, I mean, it would have included this past week, but certainly as we get into conference play. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at it now, and I believe Clemson opens as a 28-point favorite at North Carolina. I mean, I just think that you're looking up and down Clemson's schedule, and of course Clemson is focused on week by week, you know, one game at a time, that kind of stuff. But if you're an outsider or a college football fan or a media member or what have you, maybe maybe even the playoff committee, who knows? I just don't think you look on Clemson's schedule the rest of the regular season and find something that you could legitimately talk yourself into as a possible loss. Right. So how do you, as a program, as a coaching staff, Keep your guys focused. And I, I guess this was the same issue last year. And for some reason, it just feels more dramatic this year. And maybe it's because Trevor Lawrence is a sophomore. And, you know, we were still kind of interested to see, like, how he was growing. But also still, like, you had some teams. You had, like, a BC team that looked like it could maybe be a contender. And now it just feels like there's such a drop-off. But how do you think they're going to end up addressing kind of the, I guess, the focus issue of, like, how do you get up for these games, don't play down to people's level, and really put it out of the way, like, pretty quickly, get your backups in, get some reps, but but not make anything in doubt? Yeah, I thought that that was something that 
I found interesting that both coaches and players were talking about, and you could just tell after the Charlotte game, Dabo had said a couple times in the post-game press conference that he thought his team got more mature on Saturday. He thought they got better. And that's how I think that they deal with this mindset thing. Like, I don't think under any circumstance Dabo Sweeney is ever going to let his team think it's going to roll up and just annihilate people, even though we know that that's probably going to happen. Um but I think it's just a focus thing, and it's a it's a realizing that Clemson is a lot. They they speak a lot about we are playing Clemson. We play to our own standard. We don't care who's on the other side. And obviously, to a large extent, they do care who's on the other side. But I think they just have a way of doing things every single week. And whether it is UNC Charlotte or number one Alabama in the national championship, however many years in a row it has been. Obviously, Clemson's won now, but. Um, it, it doesn't change from week to week. So, and maybe this week is a little bit different, um, kind of as getting the kind of the heart of conference play, but also it's Mac Brown. And, you know, he's a recent Hall of Famer. You know, he's he's kind of a coach's coach. I know so many coaches who, who really respect him or have gone and learned from him. What is that going to be like for the two of them? I know, you know, you're a North Carolina grad, and I know you talked to Mac about this, and you talked to Dabo a little bit. What is their relationship, and what what dynamic does that create for this week? I mean, and again, maybe it's not on the field, but you know, in the pregame, you know, when they go and chat and hug, like, what is the relationship? I think it's going to be one of the cooler storylines heading into this game because here are two coaches that are obviously have both been to the to the top of the mountain. They're both national championship winning coaches. Mac is a Hall of Famer. Dabo will be a Hall of Famer. And it's kind of this mentor-mentee kind of deal going on as well, in addition to the two of them being friends. And so there's this cool story, and it'll be in The Athletic this week, but essentially Dabo, when he was a young coach, kind of looking for some direction, and he had just taken over the program, he reached out to a bunch of established coaches and asked if he could come down to their programs and spend a few days, and he got told no by a lot by a lot of people, but... Mac Brown was one that said yes. And so he went down to Austin and he, I mean, Mac was letting him sit in meetings. They were talking about culture. Uh, there are some things that Dabo learned from Mac that he still implements today. And so I think there's this really just admirable mutual respect between the two of them. Mac was saying that when he was a TV announcer for ESPN and he would text coaches, you know, right before the game, some some key points to hit on, Dabo would always text him back. He said, regardless, Dabo always sent a text back and never said, hey, don't say this on the air, or, you know, hey, keep this between us. Um, so I think it's, it's, a, it's a really cool situation where these two people genuinely enjoy each other and genuinely want the best for each other, um, wants – once Saturday is completely over and, and every moment leading up to Saturday. Yeah, and having spent some time around Mac Brown, that, that that's totally believable. And, you know, the only thing I would say about this matchup is that I wish it was maybe a couple weeks ago um, when you had Agreed. North Carolina coming off of that, that come from behind win over South Carolina week one. They go beat Miami. They're 2-0, and maybe the most surprising 2-0 and team in the country. Uh, then you go and lose that Wake, and then 34-31 – App State, it's actually, this is shocking. Now, I, I'm a Michigan grad, so I am very well versed in <laughs> App State lore. 
and keep up with them because there was that stretch where Dave Brandon decided to schedule App State again and people were furious about that. What? And he had the 10 year anniversary where people like myself wrote about it and yes. it's just, it's, it's very fresh. It's only their mind. second ever? Um, so that was 2007 and this was the first Power 5 opponent that App State has beat since. 12 years. But it doesn't feel that way because it just feels like App State has been such a solid program. They also went from now FCS to FBS during this stretch, and they've been a contender in their league. So I guess it just doesn't surprise, but I I would have guessed that there were more upsets in there because the name App State instilled fears in in myself. Yeah, and I think a lot of people. I mean, (laughs) they were were a ranked team last year, were they not? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they and and their coach went to Louisville and – Eli Drinkwitz is doing well already. I mean, that's a that's a program that just like never takes a beat off. Like that's a program the identity is set and it stays and it's all that. The weirdest thing about last weekend was that they technically blocked a kick to win a game, which was exactly how they beat Michigan. Like it was that is weird, bizarre, just bizarre. But on the road both times too. Yes. Um, and, and so, like, you know, obviously you expect North Carolina to respond from that. Um, but, you know, it does take away some of the luster for the game. I mean, like, I'm certainly more interested in the stuff you were talking about, the relationship between Dabo and Mac than I am maybe more so about some of the X's and O's just because you've got a true freshman quarterback in Sam Howell coming off of, you know, a really, really tough loss um, that we might be talking about more if it weren't for what Arkansas did this past weekend. Um, which was even worse. Man, so, ugh. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's an uphill battle. It's tough. Um, you know, they knew it was going to be a tough season. Over, you know, you, you exceed expectations a little bit early. It kind of changes some things. But, uh, you know, I, I think ultimately this will be a fine game for Clemson. But, you know, I'm sure it'll be nice for Dabo and Mac to to get that time. I mean, like that was, and we talked about this on our last podcast, you know, the Will Healy, Dabo Swinney relationship was really interesting and was a really engaging subplot of that game. And that was really cool to see it unfold in front of your eyes. So, like, at the very least, you have these subplots um, and these relationships, which is kind of why we love college football in the first place, the relationships between the people. So you have those things to keep an eye on, even if the game isn't necessarily close. But again, this this should be closer. It's a conference game. It's a coastal game. Um, our favorite division, or at least my favorite, <laughs> my favorite division. Woo! <laughs> like, yeah, no, I, I love the Coastal, too. It's a wild mess. Well, and, and you know, we're going to um, talk to Andy Bitter, our Virginia Tech colleague, in, in just a few, because he gets to cover it. I feel like I feel like you, it's kind of the opposite of your experience covering college football a little bit. I know. It, I'm jealous that he goes to work every Saturday and has no idea what's going to happen. Like, that is just so fun. I go to work every Saturday and know that by halftime, uh, I can probably start putting some words on the I page. I mean, you could probably start putting some words on the page today for Saturday. <laughs> yeah, if we're for being real. smart, like, you know, get some good B matter or whatever. Um, before we get to Andy's uh, conversation, though, let's take a quick look at the playoff picture because I actually feel like, obviously, we know where it stands in the ACC and who's a contender and who's not. Everyone. Um, but we did get some clarity in some other leagues. And so I do wonder to you if, if you agree with me about kind of how it's crystallized into the actual teams that have a chance to do this. Now, I think, you know, obviously we have Alabama and Clemson, 
Clemson's the only team in the ACC. Um, the the Big Ten, in my opinion, has shifted. Um, you know, Joel Klatt from Fox had a tweet about that he thinks there's three teams in the Big Ten. I'm not sure about that. To me, I saw – I see two, and I see Wisconsin and Ohio State, and those were not necessarily the ones I thought going into the year. I would agree with that, especially after what we saw from Wisconsin over the weekend. Yeah, basically just like bulldoze Michigan – and then that defense, totally legit. It's, it's just funny because, you know, Wisconsin had a off season by their standards last year. They changed quarterbacks. And no one talks about them. Heisman Trophy candidate at running back. And, oh, would you look at that? One of the best teams in the country. Maybe the best defense in the country. Hmm. How that works out. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, you've also, for the record, I feel like we should just let our listeners know that you've been a Jonathan Taylor believer since like 10 years ago yeah, so you hopped you. on his train before it was cool yeah jonathan taylor tailback jtt there you go i like it they really do need to do some cross promotion with jonathan taylor thomas it's just it's it's sitting right there you gotta take it you gotta do something i like that when you said jtt i started thinking about justin timberlake too oh uh, well there, there's a lot of jt's that you could really <laughs> play into i think um okay other true contenders that came out of the weekend I mean, obviously, Georgia, um, I think, you know, we felt that before. Notre Dame hung in there. And I think the way that they were able to withstand those punches and punch back, um, I think they won over a lot of people. A lot of people thought this game was going to be lopsided, that Notre Dame didn't have the type of skill players or the physicality to hang in a game like this. Um, and, and I think they, that they are still there. They, they have an interesting margin of error because no conference championship, but an insanely difficult schedule. So I'm not going to write them out completely yet. Um, LSU certainly continues to look like a, a true contender. Auburn is a maybe. Maybe. Uh, I don't know where you stand on that, but. I think they'll know, lose the, it soon-ish, but right now I think they're a contender. Yeah, I mean, I thought. They've looked good. Like, they've played Oregon. they played Texas A&M. And, you know, you saw Texas A&M up close. Maybe, maybe that A&M team isn't as good as we thought it was. But still 4-0 in the SEC West. That makes things That's impressive. I would say Florida is not a contender. Um, they just don't play like one. I know that's the vaguest possible way uh, to say it. But, I mean, I'm just not that impressed by, by killing Tennessee and squeaking out a win over Miami. No. That you probably should have lost. So they're in my, you know, possible pretenders mold. Um, you know, you still got Oklahoma as a contender. Maybe Texas. They still only have one loss. Um, and the the, the Pac-12, I don't know. Um, everyone's already kind of cannibalizing their own there. Hard <laughs> to tell if anyone can get going. I mean, like second half UCLA, like if you could combine that with, a defense with a team that can play in the first half, like maybe a backup USC quarterback. <laughs> That's interesting. That's interesting. But yeah, um, so I, you know, I think it's 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 definitely giving us a clearer picture of that second tier. I think, which is that Wisconsin is now in it, that LSU is now in it. Um, you know, that Notre Dame is probably staying in that group, uh, and Michigan is. Very far from it. Michigan is, yeah, is out. They're I'm done. shocked they're still in the top 25. They do not, they've not done I was shocked like they a- were still in the top 25 also. And I thought Stu made a good point on Twitter the other day about that. They're ranked ahead of UCF, but put those two teams on a neutral field. Who wins that game? Brand 
bias. Yes. As someone who went there, that's exactly what happened. And it was funny. Uh, the Michigan football, like, Facebook page, like the team run ones, posted about being, you know, 23 or 22, whatever the ranking was. And uh, 20, whatever it was. And all the comments were like, well, that's generous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it kind of is. I don't I, – yeah. I, after that, I was stunned they even made the poll at all. Yeah. Well, and that does speak, again, to, like, you know, you have a clear – upper echelon you know you have a clear group of teams below that and then it is kind of kind of a crapshoot and and even teams like a UCF that we thought were rolling go and and get upset by Pitt who by the way Pitt is always good for one of these types of games every single year ACC Um, Coastal the Coastal and uh, actually that's a good transition let's get into our conversation um, with Andy Bitter our colleague who covers Virginia Tech and gets to cover, gets the honor of covering the Coastal. Uh, Let's listen up here. And now to dissect the chaos that is the ACC Coastal, which is the best division in all of sports, not just college football, all of sports. We can think of no one better to bring in than our Virginia Tech beat writer, Andy Bitter. Andy, you have had a front row seat to this division. What is it like to cover a division? You, you tweeted about this, that you really never know what is going to happen week to week. Keeps you on your toes. I'll say that. Uh, you know, I had the off week. I had the <laughs> off week with Virginia Tech this week, so I got to watch some games on TV, and I'm following along, and North Carolina is losing to Appalachian State, which not too much of a surprise. Appalachian State's a good team, but still – you know, UNC was favored in that game. Miami's struggling with Central Michigan. Probably shouldn't be struggling with Central Michigan in that game. Uh, and then out of nowhere, Pitt beats UCF, which, I mean, they were up huge early. Mm-hmm. They give it all back, and you're like, oh, okay, they're done at this point. And then they come back, and they win it with the, the Philly-Pitt special, whatever they want to call it at the end of the game. Uh, you know, a week after Narduzzi screws up the end of the Penn State game. Uh, they play brilliantly at the end of this one and win it. And then, you know, I watch the nightcap and UVA goes down 17 nothing to Old Dominion. And you're like, what is going on with this conference? This is fantastic. Like, like every every game, every week you go in, you're like, I just don't know what's going to happen with, with this, com- this division. Uh, you know, especially covering Virginia Tech. I mean, two weeks ago, I wouldn't have thought that Old Dominion would give them a game. And they are in the fourth quarter. And then last week, I'm going down to and the field. Five minutes against Furman a game that they were losing by 11 at halftime and Virginia tech had come back to take the lead. But you know, my final tweet before I went down to the field was, well, time to see if the Hokies can hold on for the last couple of minutes here <laughs> against Furman, which is something I don't think I'd ever type you know, going into that game. So uh, it keeps you on your toes covering teams in this division. It seems like from week to week, just when you think you have a handle on, Oh, who the best team is all of a sudden ODU goes out there and takes a 17, nothing lead on a Virginia team. That looks like it's sleepwalking <laughs> through the whole thing. So uh, it's a very fun division to cover. It's a little different than you, than you, I'm Grace. I was just going to say. Yeah. Every week we know what's going to happen. Andy, do you think it makes your job harder or more fun or both? Both. Uh, you know, you can't go in with some like, Oh, they're going to play Furman. I'll write about the backups going like, you know, that's sort of what you would do in that game. It's like, oh, we're going to get a look at Quincy Patterson or Hendon Hooker in this game. And then you get to the fourth quarter and Virginia Tech's in a dogfight just to win it. Uh, you know, that's, you know, you don't expect that going in. Whereas, you know, Clemson, they're going to 
oh, they're going to just pummel uh, Charlotte. And I, I know when I'll be writing after 20 seconds of the game when they've already scored a touchdown. So, uh, yeah, you must have it rough there trying to come up with interesting storylines because there's something new every week in the Coastal Division. I mean, Clemson played 111 players on Saturday night. I'm, I'm going to guess Virginia Tech's not quite there yet. That's 111 stories, Grace. Honestly, Potential I should stories. write them all. <laughs> uh, Andy, Andy, before we let you go, because um, we do want you to get back to enjoying whatever the rest of your off week looks like, um, how do you handicap the Coastal? I know that's a hard question based on everything you just said, but we are trying to look a little bit forward into Clemson's schedule and the ACC at large. They're going to have to play somebody in the, in the conference championship <laughs> game. Uh, how do you see the teams that you just mentioned and that you've seen? Um, obviously, you've seen Virginia Tech up close. and, and um, but, but what do you think of the teams like North Carolina is coming up on the schedule? Virginia is, you know, was picked to win this division. How do these teams look? I wish I knew. Uh, I kind of have an idea of how I think they're going to do. But like I said, it's, it's week to week. Something new pops up. I, beginning of the year, I went Miami, Virginia Tech, Virginia, Pitt as my top four. I'm probably a little bit higher on Virginia at this point, lower on Miami and Virginia Tech. Uh, Pitt showed me something yesterday that I didn't necessarily think that they had. So that sort of changed my mind about that. Uh, North Carolina's obviously shown some fight here early in the season, even though I thought they were certainly due to regress after those first couple wins that they had where uh, they won, but they didn't necessarily play winning football throughout that other time. The outcome was was sort of different than how the game uh, went along there. So uh, I'd probably put UVA at the top, but, mm -hmm. you know, I think Miami's got a chance. I think Pitt has a chance. You know, oddly, Virginia Tech's played terrible, <clears throat> terrible, but I think they've got a chance to get in there. North Carolina, maybe. I mean, this is this is maybe the ideal situation is the true coastal chaos that people have been cheering forever is to get uh, everybody yes. with a four and four record. Uh, I think Georgia Tech probably <laughs> takes that out of the equation this year. But it, the Coastal's so weird because every team sort of has its own kryptonite within the division. Like UVA can't beat Virginia Tech, and you know Pittsburgh can't beat North Carolina, and uh, you just go like it's these weird things. Virginia Tech really <laughs> struggles with Pitt for some reason every time they play them. Duke cannot beat Virginia. Uh, it's just been this this weird hang up with certain teams that they, they go up against somebody in the division. They just can't win. So that sort of uh, balances everything out, which is why it's so fun to cover it. But, uh, you know, I, I'd say probably if I were to handicap it, I'd probably pick UVA at this point, which would give it the perfect coastal full circle seven champions in seven years. <laughs> you know, run through the entire division. I am so, so rooting for at, this. That would be amazing. At the same time, I'm picking a team that just was down 17 nothing to ODU early on and hasn't beaten a state <laughs> rival in 15 years. So, I mean, that, that just shows you the hurdle they have to get over uh, to actually get it. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if the champion of this league is 5-3. and three. I mean, it, it's going to be a multiple-loss team. I don't think anybody's going to get through here clean. Well, I, for one, am pretty pumped about the fact that I have a coastal matchup this week. Clemson plays at North Carolina, and so I feel like I'm going to be getting a little bit of insight into your zany, weird, keep the coastal weird world. I'm pretty pumped about it. Well, 
I think it only applies within the coastal division. I mean, if, if Clemson comes in, it's, <laughs> it's... Clemson comes in as some interloper, they're just going to destroy who they play right now. And it's it's almost weird. It's like it's it's, it's science. Like the prize for winning the coastal division is being the sacrificial lamb that has to go down to Charlotte and just get pounded in the the ACC title game. So it's it's sort of this weird. Like, no, you take it. Like, obviously, they're not saying that, but I feel like some of the fans aren't exactly broken up if they don't win the division and have to go play Clemson and that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a, a fun, zany division to cover. And, uh, you know, if, if it's the chalk every single week, I could imagine that getting pretty boring. I love it. Awesome. Well, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Again, if anyone wants coastal chaos coverage, um, Andy does a great job covering Virginia Tech and tweeting about all of it and keeping you abreast. And, and we will be hoping for that four-way uh, the four four seven way tie, um, if that is still mathematically possible. Thanks, Thanks so much, Andy. Andy. Thanks for having me. Andy's just the best. He He's uh, awesome. could not put that in clearer terms, and also like just makes me jealous. Just makes me want to pitch a coastal game. I need to go. I need to be around that energy. It's a funny story about Andy too, and I need you to vouch for me now that we spent a week together. I'm pretty sure he's never told me, but I'm pretty certain he thinks I'm like the worst driver in America. Tashawn Reed, our Florida State writer, absolutely has said it to my face. He thinks I'm a horrible driver, but I drove Andy in Charlotte and I just I just had nervous energy and it was not good. I mean, as someone who's driven around with you, like I did hammer that curb like, the other day. Yeah, like yeah, we, I mean, there was at least two curbs that we drove on, so eh, like. I kind of see where he's coming but from. But speed-wise, I'm always really good. I always go a very appropriate yeah. speed. Uh, okay, okay. Um, but speaking of things we love, like the Coastal, um, it's Monday, so we have to give out our roses. Oh, my goodness, you're right. Okay, who you got or what you got? Yeah, it can be It can be a player. It can be, it can be a specific play, a moment. Um, it doesn't have to be football-related. Um, I actually want you to go first, Grace, because I feel like I – like initiated the situation that allowed for your rose. You did. You did. So like on the bachelor where new experiences are always welcomed, you know how a lot of times the bachelor or the bachelorette will give their rose to someone who surprised them. I'm, yes. I'm doing that this week. I'm giving my rose to pack 12 after dark because wow, what a world I did not know I needed. Okay. So that like that we were in the car on our, way home and Nicole put the radio on to finish Pac-12 After Dark this week and it was just everything from the announcers to the wackiness of the game itself to like I'm kind of delusional what's going on it was yeah it was and see, see awesome. that's what I was trying to explain to Grace and I'm glad you you understood that is that when you're especially when you're on the east coast for Pac-12 After Dark and especially when it's one of the all-timers which which it was because UCLA scored like 45 points in like five minutes. Um, I think that it you cross over from a point of sanity to a point of loopiness. And it doesn't matter. I'm sure some of the yes. people watching this game are drunk. But you don't even have to be to just feel a little more ridiculous than you do at any other point in the day. And you just get into it. And you just get uh, into yes. it. Yeah, that's what we did. I mean, it was Pac-12 after dark and a bunch of Lizzo in the car. And it was like yes. just such a, yeah, I, fe- I, fe- I felt infinitely more loopy than usual. And I-, and I feel like when the announcer told you, 
Because I don't know, you weren't following it as we were writing. I, I was sort of tracking it a little bit. And when the announcer told you what the halftime score was, your jaw literally dropped. I was dropped. like, what the what? <laughs> Which, by the way, is like a very Pac-12 after dark experience. Like, it is just, it's weird. And when it ends, you're not quite sure if that actually happened. We were actually pretty bummed it didn't go into overtime. We were. We would have gotten to see it on TV when we got back. Which would have been, what, like three. 3 a.m. Eastern? Yeah, at that point, I just feel like I'm a different functioning human. Yeah, but that's a great rose. I am very proud of you. That is a great, great rose. Thank you so much. I appreciate your Um, assist. All right, well, my rose, I know nobody cares about people's fantasy leagues, but I need to walk you guys through the highlight of my (laughs) fantasy football life happened on Sunday. You've earned this. I did earn it. Okay, so it's ACC related. So um, between the work that I do for the ACC radio on Sirius and our group chat in general, which is, um, you know, it's a bachelor theme group chat, but it's our colleagues and we like to give each other a hard time. Everyone knows that I, you know, I, I, I wear a cape. I, I defend Daniel Jones. I, I profiled him in February I had, um, you know, done Duke's State of the Program. I know David Cutcliffe well, spent some time around him when I did a cut feature too, and just liked him. And so I, first off, by the way, we did not, as a company, we didn't send me to go spend any time with him in the pre-draft feature. We were like, yeah, this is a phoner. Mm-hmm. It's fine. We know, borderline first-round prospect. Um, so anyway, uh, so I do that. That runs in February, runs right before the combine. And then it just becomes a little bit of a running joke that, you know, I'm I'm a big Daniel Jones person. So when you have, oh, the Giants might um, might move up to draft him in the first round, high, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I'm all into it. All in. Can't so, confirm this. All in. All in all the time. Um, so when, you know, they announce him as a starter, uh, you know, the group chats give me a hard time. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of feel like I have to pick up. Dan Jones and make him my starting quarterback this week. Brand management. He was obviously, he was available. Yeah, this was, it was, in, it was important for my brand. Uh, pick him up. And <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I kind of think I got to start him. Like, it just feels, again, for the brand, like, it just feels like something I have to do. Um, so I start him. <laughs> and <laughs> I destroyed our That's organ writer, Tyson. Incredible. Alger. Like, oh, I know. You texted our group chat being like, I cannot wait to talk smack to Tyson. Tyson finished with 99 points. I had 125. Daniel Jones alone. Yeah, how many did he get you? 34.2 points, which was 13 wow. points over Carson Wentz. So that was the, I made that up. But 336 yards and four total touchdowns because obviously he ran in a couple and Tyson's response was, "Yeah, what did he say? Quote, I was taken down by an unstoppable force. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like to give my rose to Daniel Jones for an incredible debut. Um, I think there were a lot of ACC fans, um, certainly a lot of Duke fans, but I think people who saw him, especially when he was toughing it out and playing through injuries the last couple of years with a, you know, not the best supporting cast at Duke. People were rooting for him, or at least rooting for all those draft snobs to be wrong. And it's only one game, but it was a really cool moment for him and his family. Um, I was texting with his dad, and his dad texted back at like 4 a.m. I don't even want to know, you know, where the celebrations took them 
on Sunday <laughs> night, but um, just that he was that it was so cool and, and such a such a cool thing to be part of. But so the rose goes to Daniel Jones in part because awesome rookie debut, but also gave me the greatest fantasy football moment in the history of my of life. Your life. And I, I just I don't think it would be topped. You should give your rose to Tyson for dunking on him. <laughs> Maybe we should do that. Should we do that? <laughs> honorary. He, get, he gets the honorary rose this week. Absolutely. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Protect the Rock from The Athletic. We cover Clemson, ACC, and a little bit of everything else. Um, I'm Nicole Auerbach. She's Grace Raynor. And we will be back with a bonus episode for Athletic subscribers only in your feed on Thursday. And we will talk to you then. Hey there, listeners. We are excited to share some big news. Our team here at The Athletic and our friends at Wondery have just launched a brand new daily sports show called The Lead that we know you're going to love. The Lead is the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown. With the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers and editors, co-hosts Kavitha Davidson and Anders Kelto will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. You're about to hear a preview of The Lead. Subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. There's also a link in the episode notes that will take you there. And check out theathletic.com slash the lead to read stories featured on The Lead. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. And at the buzzer, oh, he knocks it down! Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score, five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. The lead. Sports up close. Hey, hey, I need some more of that.